But when his wife says, sweetie, what did you get for me? He socked her in the choppers, such a sweet, sweet guy was he. And her tears flowed like wine. Yes, her tears flowed like wine. What do you want me to do? Count to three like they do in the movies? Welcome to the Movie Ladder Podcast. We're all about cinematic connections. Each week we're discussing a movie that connects to the movie from the previous week's podcast. My name is Zach Brooks, and as always, I'm joined by... Brendan Fitzpatrick. And pretty, pretty, pretty good month is continuing here on the Movie Ladder Podcast. Uh, we had the, the two co-hosts of the Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good Podcast over the last two weeks. And then we have the prolific emailer to both that podcast and this one, you have heard us read his emails probably all the way since almost the beginning of this podcast. And you're going to hear his voice, his lovely Irish accent, because he pitched himself as a guest uh, for this week's episode on The Big Sleep. Welcome to the podcast, Olin Allen. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Yes. Now everybody has a voice that they can hear while we're reading your emails every week. Yeah. Although I guess I you've, you've sent in voicemails before, though, right? Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, he has definitely sent in voicemails. So. Yeah. Especially Fitzcarraldo, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was a big one for that. So uh, last week we discussed the Big Lebowski, and this week, due to a uh, investigation in LA, detective story, the word "big" in the title, lots of connections. We will be discussing the Big Sleep. This was suggested by Olin, and uh, Olin, did I nail the connections, or is there something that I should be just saying right off the top as for Big Sleep? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, there's just a, it's a big, a big influence on the film and that so yes. and i think a few other people had it recommended as well I think uh, yeah i was... believe it did come up from a couple people last week um and i think also looking through my notes did it come up from insomnia as well uh, uh i may have yeah i think it i think did. uh i think our title connection can be the big noir ah the big i like that oh yeah. nice we're doing this out of order uh yes brendan yeah. you recommended or you suggested the big sleep last year off of insomnia uh so. that makes sense yeah maybe, because maybe. you know yeah Maybe to we'll talk clever. about that your movie. One, one, of my, one of my far too clever suggestions, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then at the end of the episode, we'll decide on our next movie based on suggestions sent in from the listeners and us as your three hosts tonight also have our own. So we'll be spoiling The Big Sleep, so if you've not yet watched it, put a timestamp so you can jump ahead. But you want to listen to this discussion with Olin, so you should go check out The Big Sleep. Uh, it is rentable on any streaming platform. Uh, I found Amazon very helpful because the Amazon X-Ray feature is helpful for knowing who the characters are. You can pause and see the names of the characters on screen. Yep. So, uh, and it's only two ninety nine, as opposed to the average uh, three ninety nine or higher for an Amazon rental. So yes. I thought I thought that was a pleasant surprise on Amazon. Yeah, dollar off. It was nice. So, uh, but of course, uh, you can skip ahead. Timestamp is in the description to when we start su- talking about suggestions for next week. And make sure you get that feedback in when we do pick our movie at ladder movie on twitter the movie ladder gmail.com send in your feedback and uh, your next movie suggestions so Olin, how's it going yeah all's going well it's, it's a special day in your over. life it's a special day in your life as you mentioned before we got on this recording oh yeah celebrating the uh our dog's sixth birthday that we uh took from a rescue two and a half years ago so took a half day and uh took a boat for a uh, bit of a dog-friendly restaurant and uh, all had a nice time. Uh, when oh. you said dog-friendly restaurant, at first I was thinking it was like a restaurant <laughs> that served... A restaurant for dogs? Yeah. Dog bar? Yes. Uh, oh, there should be. 
Yeah. Every dog has its day, my friend. Every dog has its day. Uh, and of course, uh, yes, uh, Big Sleep was your suggestion. So uh, is this one of your favorite movies or was this the first time seeing this? Oh, no, definitely one of my favorites for the uh, last 20 odd years or so. So uh, I think it's on my top five list on Letterboxd as well. So, Oh, nice. Oh, look at that. Cool. Uh, yes, g- uh, glad to have one of your Ro- your Mount Rushmore movies. Uh, also, because this was the first time I've seen it. Uh, I think the first time Brendan's seen it as well. So. It's the first time since like high school. I definitely saw it like a long, long time ago, but the first time visiting as a mature movie watcher for sure. That's the uh, so we'll have the all in explainer because I don't know if everybody else is uh-huh. as confused as me. But uh, I watched this twice and I'm still kind of like, I don't, I my dumb, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like uh, it. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to Big Sleep, why don't we talk about the best thing we watched uh, in the last week? Although, Owen, as this being your first time on the podcast, it could be the best thing you've watched since the last time you were on this podcast, which was never. Never. <laughs> A little bit on Fitzcarraldo, though, I suppose. So. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Yeah. But you didn't give your best. Uh, you didn't give your best movie of the week. Uh, all right. So, Owen, what is the best thing you watched recently? Uh, yeah. Well, this week, the only other film I watched was the other version of the big sleep so we might touch on that mm. later on mm-hmm. um yeah but haven't watched any this week with the olympics but uh about two weeks ago legally blonde was on amazon prime for myself so switched it on and yeah found it thoroughly enjoyable great fun uh a bit bit playing on the stereotypical blonde character uh mm-hmm. yeah but it was Seemed fairly tight, nice fun, and yeah, kind of the major finale scene had a had a lot of memories of uh, Marissa Tomei and uh, my cousin Vinny with the mm-hmm. uh, how the courtroom scene ended. It's really nice to know that a movie like that holds up really well, because um, you know a lot of those comedies from the early two thousands, especially with the types of humor they would lean on, don't necessarily hold up as much as uh, as they as as they should and it's good to know that uh legally mon does yeah did it hold up better than my best friend's wedding oh for sure for me yeah and had a probably, cute, uh, what, was weekly blonde 1999 2000 2002 i think yeah yeah because yeah she would have done an election in 1999 mm-hmm. yeah, so this was a co- that was as a high school student so this was as a just going uh, into college yeah. And they had a cute dog in it as well, which helped. So. There you go. You yep. show that to Two thousand one. Yeah. So we were all just dancing around it. Uh, and have you seen Legally Blonde the musical, or do you have any interest in seeing Legally Blonde the musical? Uh, no, haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, might, might might do at some stage, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never understood how that movie could be turned into a musical, but I guess they did Mean Girls the musical as well, and mm-hmm. uh, so occasionally. All right, and uh, how about you, Brendan? So uh, I have a couple of different movies that I could choose from. I I watched a lot this week for my personal ladder and I jumped ahead in Criterion. And the best thing that I watched this week is I went back to the theaters and I saw The Green Knight. And I know that my response was um, much more enthusiastic than I know a lot of the reviews have been. Some people have been great. Some people have absolutely, it seems to be very divisive. Some people absolutely love it, and some people seem completely confounded and perplexed by it. Um, I I was perplexed, but I also, like, 
absolutely loved it. I highly recommend seeing it in theater, especially for the score and the visuals. Um, incredibly stunning performances. There are some really interesting scenes um, along the way for the quest of our lead character, played by Dev Patel, that really have stuck with me since I watched it on Saturday. And um, I'm looking forward to this one coming to streaming because I'll definitely watch it again. So. Yeah. Uh, if you I'm, can get I, to the theater and see The Green Knight, definitely recommend it. I don't really want to give anything away about it, but that's the next thing I'll watch this week. Yeah. Uh, I saw it a couple weeks ago, and I'm lower on it than you. I liked it. I thought it was pretty inventive and, um, you know, and very unique, different than anything I've seen. Mm-hmm. I just, I kind of like this one where I walked away and I was like, what the hell just happened uh, <laughs> in that movie? But in this one, at least I can kind of piece it together, that one. I don't know. Maybe a second watch would be good. Maybe captions would be helpful in that one as well. Um, I like the I like the inventiveness of it, but I, it's yeah, I don't think it's this great story. It's definitely a confusing story because there are multiple characters doing multiple things mm-hmm. and basically just mixing up the story inside the main character's head. So I mean, it's very it's an intentional confusion. I feel like. Yeah, it just, I just I love a ghost story, which is uh, the first David mm. Lowry movie, or at least the first first big movie. Um, huge fan of that. Highly recommend that. Then he made Pete's Dragon, which I have not seen, and then The Green Knight, um, mm. which I'm a little lower on. But uh, actually, I, I talked to Av about it, and we basically had the exact same opinion. And he was like, it was very weird, and I would not recommend it to anybody. Was his <laughs> he said well, he liked it's... it, but he wouldn't tell. He wouldn't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> You can uh, decide for yourselves and let us know, uh, dear listeners. It's currently my number two movie of the year. Yeah. Behind, yeah, Owen, have uh, you seen this movie? Uh, no. Yeah. You're usually usually prefer the older movies, anyways, right? Uh, yeah, I tend stuff. to lean a bit more that way. Yeah. Um, I probably should have actually read what like what I've said word for word because I might have misquoted him, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I'd have to look. He said I w- I wouldn't recommend it to almost anyone. Very weird and confusing. There were parts I liked, but really didn't know what to make of it. So uh, that probably means he recommends it for me, though. So yeah, you might love it. Yeah. <laughs> so it uh, would have. I think it would have made for a really discussion, interesting discussion on this podcast if yes. we all had very different reactions to it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would have loved to have read Jeff's email about the Green Knight. I kind of want <laughs> Jeff to go see it just so he can write me an email about it. Uh, I, I hope so. I, I would love for yeah. Jeff to go see the Green Knight. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, for me, let's the best thing I watched this week. Um, I think I'm going to say Godzilla, like the 1954 Godzilla. I watched that for Criterion this week, and the challenge was to watch something in the Godzilla collection. And I said, well, okay, I'll watch the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it was so interesting to watch that movie. It was made in 1954, just 12 years, or sorry, just nine years after uh, the hydrogen bombs were dropped on Japan. And it, you can feel how much that impacts this movie. Yeah, this movie is mm-hmm. really about that fear that came from those attacks. Um, and it's, it's really felt throughout with the the message and the, the imagery in it. So um, it just felt like it was it, it, it was a time capsule, this movie. Um, and it's very different than any of the newer Godzillas that come out, although there are story elements that I was like, oh, they borrowed that for the the King of Monsters. And mm-hmm. um, especially King of Monsters, I feel like they, they brought some stuff back from that. So... Uh, and one of the characters, uh, Surizawa, I thought was just like super memorable. He's got an eye patch and his his thoughts on like how to stop Godzilla and what to do about this uh, just was uh, really interesting. So, um, you know, it was it was terrifying in like a real life component, not terrifying in a Godzilla is going to destroy everybody. 
Yeah, I for Godzilla week, I watched what is widely considered one of the worst Godzilla movies, if not the worst, which is called Godzilla versus Megalon. And it was or Megadon and it was insane, but it was really, really fun. Um, apparently, there's a really infamous Mystery Science Theater episode um, where they do the commentary on this movie. I actually found it really fun. It reminded me a lot of uh, Power Rangers, mostly because one mm. of the. One of the mon- quote unquote monsters in the movie basically is a Power Ranger, like Megazord and, or something. Yeah, it's it's very fun. I, I I recommend people check it out. Yeah. Oh, and what are you, what are your thoughts on the Godzilla franchise? Yeah, haven't haven't got round to any of them. As probably be interested in uh, doing that original one. Yeah. And then seeing from there, still have King Kong as well to. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have, it, have a DVD of it, so I still have the original one to. Yeah, I've, I've never seen the original King Kong. I've seen the remakes yeah. like Skull Island and the mm-hmm. one with Jack Black. Um, and then obviously I saw Kong versus Godzilla. And actually, I wanted to get to the old Godzilla before Kong versus Godzilla came out. I just never got around to it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would watch any of the other ones necessarily unless I had a particular reason. But this right. was interesting. And the, it's interesting, too, to watch like the the special effects from 1954 because it's so clearly you know models and and little right. miniatures that he's destroying but it, it just works so well for the feel that you're like yeah, I, I like being transported to 1950. that's not godzilla it's just a guy in a suit <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so uh yeah good time for godzilla week i liked it mm-hmm. um all right uh well in addition to being godzilla week it's the big sleep week uh so we are going from the big lebowski which we had alex chester on last week to the big sleep Alan Allen is on to join us for that so this was uh, from 1946 directed by Howard Hawks uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall who I know mm-hmm. partnered together for quite a few movies uh, there's a lot of very obvious connections with the two of them both being in the movie together mm-hmm. and Olin as this is your favorite why don't you set us up why don't you uh, lead off with talk about the big sleep whatever you want to say uh, yeah I suppose one thing you've touched on uh Zach is probably how confusing it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think my memories, the first time I watched it, there was a kind of a Humphrey Bogart season on over Christmas. So like at 1 a.m., some guy would give his five minute introduction to the film. And then there were eight films shown during the week. So I recorded a few. And I remember watching this one that I just enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, but I also found in the case Given that I enjoyed it so much, I actually found the uh, confusing and convoluted uh, plot uh, actually very helpful because it just made it so much more rewatchable. If Mm -hmm. you enjoyed it, you just Mm -hmm. can jump straight back in and look out for um, more things. So I probably watched it a a good few times in the first few weeks and it stuck with me since. Whereas if if you weren't enjoying the film, I'm sure that that... uh, that that confusion and stuff probably makes things a lot worse. But in this case, I thought it actually helped a lot. So that was yeah. my introduction to it. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you on that it's really rewatchable. And I actually liked it a lot better the second time, just because I knew kind of what characters to pay attention to early on, because there's so many characters in this that come in and out. And, you know, you have a character like... Uh, like Harry Jones, right? That's I think he's on screen for about 90 seconds of the movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. Versus Agnes, who is the the person working at the bookstore, but then you know, is in basically the rest of the movie as well. Um, 
And when I was able to rewatch it, and I think even like on a third watch, when I know what to what really needs to need to pay attention to versus like when I can pay more attention to the dialogue and to the setting and the the background images. Um, and I even got that on this on this first watch. So I mm. I, I I liked it better on, on the rewatch for sure. Yeah, I, I I watched it with subtitles on and I thought that was really, really super helpful, mm-hmm. especially because like some of the cinematography is a little dark. And so it's like a little and I was also like had my volume up, but it some of it still felt kind of mumbled in the dialogue. And so it was really helpful to have my subtitles on. And I, I feel like I pretty well followed and understood the plot, but there's still like definitely some lingering questions as to the reliability of the final conclusion of how this is wrapped up and whether our narrator is reliable or not in the conclusion that it reaches um or if there's still room for interpretation like i mean there's a character out there that we hear about throughout the entire film in um the wife of um is it scott who has the affair with uh sean reagan and we never hear anything from her we never see her no we do see his wife wife. and she's just sort of they all are constantly talking about how she should factor into this plot and then she never factors in. And that's like my big lingering question. Like, wait, so what about the wife? What happened to her? Is she dead? Is she just gone? Oh, and do you want to do I you want to correct him or should I? Am yeah, I, I don't think Sean Regan's. So Sean Regan ran away. The story was that Sean Regan ran away with Eddie Maher's wife. OK. And she turns up at the end that she's holed up in this kind of isolated area that they're holding her her there out of sight to kind of keep the story going. Okay. When Marlo is tied up, she's in the room. It, that's Eddie Mars's wife oh, in the room. And she's saying, okay. I yeah, wasn't, I she's like, okay. uh, Eddie was more of a friend than a, you know, he was my friend basically more than he was my husband. Um, I totally missed that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, this is, this is my fear about talking about this movie is I'm going to come in here and I'm going to be like, this happened. It's like, that's what I really wanted to realize. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I will admit that last night I was trying not to big sleep myself sitting <laughs> on my couch. Like, I was thoroughly enjoying the movie, but it's quite possible I just nodded off and completely missed that scene. <laughs> awesome. I, I love that. I love that you owned up to maybe. I'm owning up to it because movie. it's quite possible that I just totally missed stuff in this movie. And uh, so, uh, Olin, why don't you tell us what was the final conclusion of this movie? What was what was the uh, the big sleep that was going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, the big sleep itself. So it's taken from a Raymond Chandler novel, who was a big pulp fiction writer and started writing novels about Philip Marlowe. So that became a uh, kind of his primary character. But uh, yeah, the big sleep itself, if you just ask about the title, it's in the last, I I believe it's in the last kind of paragraph where he just says that, uh, yeah, all the dead people are going to the the big sleep effectively so okay I, I never i never noticed the title in this um maybe i just didn't pick up a, on it so i was like it I, I, it's not mentioned in this film okay right. okay because i was like why is this called the big sleep which now knowing that the dead are having a big sleep that makes more sense yeah um like the big salad i guess as well, well it's, a me- it's a metaphorical name of like you know it's another right. name for death yeah sleep with the fishes yeah. basically yeah, exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did happen I, sleeping until 
2 p.m. when the uh, police officer mm-hmm. wakes him up. Right, so. right, right, right. True, yeah. Um, and they, we do see, um, we do see Geiger in the when he's dead. He's in the bed as well. So right. it's a good uh, visual representation eventually. of the big sleep. Eventually, he's in the bed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Not the first time we see him, but when the, when we see him in the, at the house. Um, but you know, kind of what what this is all revolving around is that Carmen, uh, Vivian's sister, was the one who killed Sean Regan. Yep. Correct? Okay. Yes. And so Vivian was working with them to protect her sister. Um, and she killed Sean because she was in love with him and he didn't re- he didn't requite her love because he was in love with Eddie Mars's wife. Yep. Right. Sweet. Okay, good. All right. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm like working backwards. It's very me. confusing. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> I suppose that, yeah, just one other thing then just on the film. There was a... The initial version of the film, which I think was released to U.S. troops in 1945, mm-hmm. it had a couple of explanation scenes in the middle. So I think where we get the famous line by Carl Humphrey Bogart scene about uh, the horse riding, who's who likes to go out in front and who likes to come from behind, etc. Mm-hmm. That had kind of a, a big explanation scene about Owen Taylor, the chauffeur, which we might touch on later and mm-hmm. so on. But... I think Lauren Bacall after the so Howard Hawks discovered Lauren Bacall for the film to have and have not, which she co-starred with Humphrey Bogart that developed mm-hmm. their relationship. This was the follow-up, and then she had a bit of a failure on the next film, and Warner Brothers decided to, uh, in the initial cut, there wasn't really enough of uh, Bacall and Bogart together, so they kind mm-hmm. of added in a few of those effectively just fun scenes sexual innuendo and all mm-hmm. all that to kind of which really adds to the fun and enjoyment of the film but compared to the original release that was uh, just briefly released to the u.s troops abroad it uh yeah the confusion lingers a lot more in this version okay so the the version that was released to the troops had more of an explanation and more of the fun scenes or they replaced some of them there was less of bacall and bogart having some more banter between each other okay uh i'm definitely glad that they kept that much in because i think even if i wasn't quite sure on the first watch what happened in this movie mm-hmm. just the chemistry between the two leads and the dialogue with some of the innuendos and things like that that was very fun it's fantastic yeah yeah um and i, I do think that the dialogue too is kind of what leads to some of my confusion because this movie is a 1940s noir and there's there's terms like like the what you would hear somebody to call the big sleep, where if you don't quite know what they're referencing, um, and I don't have any written down exactly as like examples of this, but there are many times where they would say something. I'd be like, wait, what does that word mean? Or like, what is that? Even the word shamas, which is what yep. he's referred to. Right. I had never heard that word until last week. Until last uh, week in the Vivalaski. Yep, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. And this is the only, I knew the word shamas, shamas very well for yeah. the, yeah. It depends. Shamas, yeah. But I knew very well on the Big Lebowski film, but yeah, this is my only uh, terms of reference for it, effectively. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how did you guys feel that this movie lined up as far as Big Lebowski being a remake of this? Because I could see kind of the subtle connections in plot. Like, I mean, we meet the general and he's in a wheelchair. Right. And yep. he's being blackmailed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, neither of his daughter or his wife are missing or kidnapped. So it's not quite the same plot. But, like, I and I, I think Bogart is 
a much more charismatic out in front detective, whereas they flip it on their head in Big Lebowski, where the dude is unintentionally a detective. Right, he's the everyman. Like, like do, you, do you, which I guess which do you like better? Do you like the straightforwardness of the mystery in Big Lebowski or the sort of more subtle actual detective work in this movie? I mean, I, I'm assuming I would guess Olin prefers this, but uh, is that would that be true? Like, yeah, yeah, I like the Big Lebowski, but yeah, obviously this is um, mm-hmm. those terms. Yeah, I like the detective just focusing on the detective work and stuff. I like it a lot here. Um, I suppose just on Brendan's point as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of watching the Big Lebowski and being so such a big fan of this film, I can kind of see the. I think they might have just kind of took some terms of reference and a general framework mm-hmm. um, and mapped some characters and then started um, expanding their own plot and own, their own yeah. version of it from there, rather than obviously not being a, not kind of just doing the same story and just modernizing it or anything like that. It's not that at all. No. Um, and I think, you know, I saw a lot more, and we're, we're, I know we're jumping a little ahead to connections, but I saw a lot more in terms of the, uh, in terms of the connections between these two movies in the first 20 minutes of this mm. in that opening scene at the general's house, sure. um, you know, where we've got, uh, you know, we have the, like the Carmen when we're introduced to Carmen and she's kind of coming on to, um, to Philip Marlowe. And, mm. you know, she says, Oh, you're, you're a lot taller than, or you're a lot shorter than I was expecting. And she like, falls into his arms. That kind of reminded me of all the stuff with bunny Lebowski where she's put, his, right. puts her feet up to him. Uh, up to the dude's face and also the norris character that butler is just like the philip seymour hoffman character like those were very similar to me um so you know i I liked i i liked that connection um also obviously the general being in a in a wheelchair as well and um i have a couple other that you know yeah yeah, i I I really liked the subtle um just the subtle lines from the butler especially in those first 20 minutes where like so after he goes in to see Lauren Bacall's character mm-hmm. and Humphrey Bogart yeah. comes out into the hall and he's like, you were mistaken. She didn't want to see me. And he goes and the, the butler goes, yes, I am often mistaken, sir. I apologize. It's like that's, Did that's that such ever, a brand line. It was a great yeah. line. And I kept waiting yeah. for that, like the, for the butler to be somehow involved in what right. happened or right. in his plot. But the butler was there's no other significance to that line besides just being kind of quirky and weird, right, Olin? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's a, instead it's the chauffeur and who's in who we never actually see, but who's involved. But it does seem like the entire household is in on this odd conspiracy of one way or another. Like because the butler definitely knows that Carmen wasn't home that night, mm-hmm. so he's having to like cover everything. You know, and like not give too much away the entire time. So, on was there a was there a significance to that line, or or just the butler's role at all of this? Um, Brennan just mentioned. Yeah, I don't think there was too much of significance in relation to the butler itself. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a, I think it was just a follow up to that whole um, discussion between uh, Bacall and Bogart or Vivian and. Uh, Philip Marlowe, where she keeps trying to find out effectively if he's um, searching for Sean Regan 
and she she yeah we okay with spoilers so yeah she knows yeah, yeah. Sean Regan yeah, yeah. is dead she knows mm-hmm. Sean Regan is dead exactly so she's trying to find out about that and and then once Philip Marlowe kind of says I'm not looking for Sean Regan that kind of means she wasn't she shouldn't be that interested in what he had to say as a result so that that's kind of how that conversation kind of mm-hmm. finished out and I think it was it was nearly more punchline to uh to that scene to an extent rather than just uh rather than trying to flesh out the butler's character he was just uh he's kind of just very good at butlering effectively <laughs> yeah he buttles yeah um yeah and, and again like on this rewatch the movie is very different when you know that vivian knows that sean mm. is dead that his that her sister is involved that carmen is involved so um you know that's one of those things that on the second or third watch you might pick up on more it also really helps with knowing that and then you get to the scene where she's singing at Eddie Mars's house and you're like surprised in the first watch that she's there. And then once you realize their actual connection, like it totally makes sense that he would get to Eddie Mars's house and she'd be there. So, like, yeah. It, yeah. So, so Eddie Mars's role in all of this mm-hmm is he is blackmailing her with the uh that carmen killed sean is that correct all yep okay yep and his wife is in on it because Mm. why uh yeah so you don't get it too much from this film but yeah she's yeah pretty much loyal to uh teddy and seems to think that he's uh maybe more decent man than she finds out in the end when she snaps slightly at uh, Phil mm-hmm. Marlow. Okay. And I mean, I should have just written down all of my questions watching this, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't. Do, do you guys find uh, Humphrey Bogart charming is going to be my next question. Um, so let's, let's talk about the bogey performance because I really like him um, in general as an actor. Like I think he does a lot of really subtle things with his walk, with his mannerisms, with the way he moves and the way he speaks. Um, I really love the first scene where he goes into the bookshop and he's got quote unquote a disguise where he turns up his hat and puts on his sunglasses and starts acting like a snobby bookseller. Um, but do you, do you find the Bogart sort of man about town detective charming? I guess would be my, my main question. Yeah, well, he's very effective in this mm-hmm. film. Um, yeah, I think this is his uh, fast-paced witticisms and quick combats, uh, quick comebacks. So yeah, in this film, I yeah, I definitely probably would have uh, fallen for his charm. And as you say, like all the um, additions, all the little mannerisms and things throughout. I think especially that scene with the uh, the hat and the glasses. I think that was his idea when he. They had that kind of fairly standard scene where he was just going in to test the test the, the Agnes seller. first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Agnes about the um was she a legitimate bookseller or not. But uh mm-hmm. he just kind of came up with the idea just to just to make that scene a bit more interesting, which is kind of a lot of how Howard Hawks would yeah, work that part, it was about. That part was really fun. Um I also just like when he's I don't know, he has just this like 
he is shorter than you would think for this mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. actor. And I like that it's called out in this movie. And you really notice it, right? Like, it's, you know, the kind of thing like, they could do with Tom Cruise if he would ever let them. Uh-huh. Um, and when we see him and he's got the gun, I think on Camino, and he's kind of, yeah. you could just see the height difference between them. Or maybe it was, maybe it was and Eddie there's Mars. The, there's oh. the Eddie Mars scene where he's in Eddie's house. And mm-hmm. after he's seen uh, Vivian singing in the other room, and he goes to confront him in the bedroom. And, like, Eddie Mars is so freaking much taller than him it's like yeah it almost like takes you out because you're like oh god i forgot bogey is that short or is I mean, eddie mars, mars is like weird well yeah. eddie mars yeah. also that actor seems like he's very tall yeah. um and i also just love i love the delivery that humphrey Bogart has for some of the lines because everything is delivered very dryly but there's so much innuendo and everything mm-hmm. um but one line that is right in the beginning of the movie that really made me laugh was uh the general asked him or maybe it was norris asked him how do you take your brandy and he said in a glass and i was yes. like that is that okay. is a great response to that question uh, for sure yeah. yeah i i absolutely love um everything he's got going on in this movie as far as like his drink choices his soup choices his you know his swagger um it's not like so oppressively like nonchalant that it takes you out of it it's Mm -hmm. just like a coolness that he has even when he's getting his ass kicked which he does a couple of times in this movie so in this movie is i mean this is obviously film noir and it's it's got kind of it hits a lot of the beats of film noir. You got the detective story. You've got the that costumes and the hat that that um, old timing I mean, not old timing at the time, but old timing now uh, detective story. And you know the the drinks, the brandy, the cigarettes, the dark bars. Um, Olin, how familiar are you with kind of the history of film noir? Like where does this fall in terms of film noir history is this one of the early ones i mean this is obviously one of the ones that people point to a lot for the style of movie yeah so yeah it would probably have been developed in and around this time maybe a couple of years earlier that the uh detective story so you also had the big humphrey bogart film with john houston the maltese falcon which right very his bigger his basically his other big detective private dick film so um yeah probably from there not that that's the quintessential film no and i don't think this one is either but kind of in around that time period is when it started um developing and this one is probably a bit more kind of a bit more rhythm and humor to it as well but does have all that kind of claustrophobic feel and the Mm -hmm. the rain the darkness and the shadows and all that um yeah yeah i mean I so maltese just... falcon was 1941 so 19 yeah. so maltese mm-hmm. falcon obviously is also very film noir and that was before this so this is and maybe this is kind of the you know it, i don't know if maltese falcon if that was one of the first ones or if it even goes back further i i'm not the historian on this um but you know five years later the big sleep comes out and i wonder if it's just kind of the evolution of the of the genre, much like you see with Western and superhero movies. And, you know, that's why we get a little bit more of that lightness and comedy in this movie. Yeah, I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say this isn't a completely typical film noir. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of that lightness and stuff, there would be other films coming along the time and mm-hmm. later years, like Out of the Past, where the the humor isn't as, uh, an innuendo isn't as strong. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I... Uh, it, it, oh, and if I said uh, if we were on um, if we were on Family Feud, the three of us, and the category was film noir, what's going to be the number one answer uh, for the general public? Uh, yeah, uh, 
you have to try to think of what the the amount of the loop and the mod and stuff. It goes something like LA Confidential or something like that. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, for Neo Noir, yeah. Neo Noir, that probably makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I would think Maltese Falcon is probably the number one mm-hmm. answer if I had to guess. Um, I'm trying to find just like the... Uh, and so... Like, culturally educated the audience yeah yeah i don't i don't think we should use that like confidential um i mean 1946 definitely makes sense as the year that was sort of peak film noir because it falls right in the middle of you know film noir first started becoming a thing around 1941 and sort of went out of style in the mid 50s so 1946 is really when it's at that apex for sure Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't know you said post you said post noir Oh, sorry. No, I was saying the immediate okay. post-war. Post-war. Oh, post-war. 19, okay, yeah, yeah. 19, I think that's kind of the peak would be mm-hmm. kind of the late 40s would be the general peak for the the overall genre. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you're looking at, like, Orson Welles' The Third Man is, like, a uh, big Carol Reed's. Yeah. Carol Reed's The Third Man. Yeah. Yes. Orson Welles was in The Third Man. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Malte- Maltese Falcon, Shadow of a, Dar- of mm-hmm. a Doubt, Double Indemnity, yeah, all coming up as 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 lists on here. Um, so, Lady from Shanghai. Yeah, there's some there's some good ones. Then, of course, you know, awesome as you think Wells. about, yeah, that which one? Lady from Shanghai. Oh, that was Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah. Directing and acting. Yeah. Um, uh, Double Indemnity, one of my mom's favorite movies. Actually, she huh? uh, she she rented that one a couple months ago, just out of the blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be a potential uh it might as well Ray, yeah. raymond chandler co-wrote the um mm-hmm. co-wrote the script with billy wilder so you talk about raymond chandler that's so you know he wrote the book which i could see how this would be a really captivating book i was thinking when i was watching this i was like i would love to read this um but you know the raymond chandler wrote this philip marlowe character so we see philip marlowe mm-hmm. a couple times in other movies um but I'm assuming he's in more than just three books because it looks like there were three movies starring Raymond Chandler or with Raymond Chandler, um, or maybe two movies and a TV show. When I looked it up, yeah, there's yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I think there's a good handful of books. I had a a collection of three novels: The Long Good Night, Big Sleep, and another mm-hmm. one which I don't think was. I think Murder My Sweet was the first one that was made into a film. But I think mm-hmm. there's kind of a series, so probably. I'd say probably kind of around the high single digit range. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that character has never been brought back as like an IP. Um, it's surprising that it hasn't. I mean, especially I think if the uh, Perry Mason show maybe had done better on HBO, then mm. maybe they maybe more like that would have come up. Um, or it could have sparked some sort of genre resurgence. But I mean, I know that that. Uh, you know, there, there's not going to be a second season of that, unfortunately. But I, I mean, you know, give or take, it was an okay season. Um, it had some ups and downs, but I know a lot of people did like it. But um, you know, it didn't spark the genre resurgence. I think that people were probably hoping it would. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like you know, it's uh, the Philip Marlowe character reminds me of like you know, could be like an Indiana Jones or a James mm-hmm. Bond, where it's just a character where it just is in popular culture, and they do different detective stories starring this character, and they could all be period pieces too. Yeah, and I mean, Humphrey Bogart is often called like compared to um, Harrison Ford as a leading man. Like they 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 have sort of a dry similarity to them, and so 
you know, it's sort of, it's sort of surprising that Harrison Ford never took on like a remake of a Bogart picture except mm. for Sabrina, which was mm-hmm. a romantic comedy. Um, but you know, I mean, it's I can definitely see the similarities there for sure. Yeah. Like, well, this uh, this article about the noir that I'm reading mentions Blade Runner as a mm-hmm. as a neo noir as a neo sci fi noir. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I could. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So, what else uh, should we talk about, Owen, that we have not touched on about this movie? Um, I mean, we. I don't want to get too much into like every intricacy of the plot because it's so uh, so twisty. But yeah, what, what do you want yeah, to talk about? Well, yeah, not necessarily plot-wise, but again, it's kind of Howard Hawks and his team of writers trying to make mm-hmm. a fun film. So one thing I think Brendan picked up on it earlier is that uh, Bogart is very charming, and he's as he said to the librarian, he uh, when he she said she didn't expect him to be one that was big into first editions of classical books and he says he um, picks up blondes and bottles as well so he was um, I think Agnes is pretty much the only one who didn't fall for his charms throughout the film he was pretty much mm-hmm. picking up all the uh, the ladies throughout which I think is one of the big differences with the actual um, cynical character that Raymond Chandler created as well yeah, I mean, he even gets the taxi cab driver yeah. who he only has one scene with, and she's mm-hmm. like, you could call me anytime, even especially after work. And it's like, well, wait a second. You've only been in the car like 30 seconds. Or the woman who works at yeah, the yeah, Acme bookstore, right. too. Oh, she's great. Yeah, oh, that, I love that, that scene uh, as well. That scene yeah. is really good. Yeah. 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 No, that's, yeah, that was. Uh, um, should we talk good. about how this film was also had a Passover co-writing credit? from the great American author, William Faulkner, uh, Sound of the Fury, William Faulkner, mm-hmm. As I Lay Dying, William Faulkner. Um, I thought I, I had forgotten that, and I thought that was really surprising um, because you don't normally get, you know, great American authors actually um, developing a script that isn't an adaptation of a book they wrote. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he... He initially came on board with Howard Hawks in To Have and Have Not, so he's another mm-hmm. one connection to that, where they were, I think Hawks said he'd take the, he'd take um, Hemingway's worst book and make it into a great film. <laughs> when over one night is one of, possibly a myth or whatever, but yeah, Faulkner kind of, probably got Faulkner on board as that as kind of one of Hemingway's friends and rivals as well to to the fun of that so then he came back on board for this one nice i only know really the name william faulkner i couldn't have told you i don't i mean maybe i've read something that he's written or i don't think he's really done any other movies but this was the first piece of content i consumed that i knew was credited to william faulkner mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to say what what exactly he added to this versus anybody else in the movie yeah then, I, I'm, I'm not positive either i mean i haven't read a ton of faulkner myself so yeah, and I'm pretty much, I know he's a Nobel Prize winner, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty much just familiar for his Howard Hawks um, works. The other so he, writer... Yeah, what other movies with Howard Hawks did he work on? Uh, oh, those, the two main ones, and then the other two writers would have done a fair few films with Hawks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Lee Brackett was, she kind of was writing a lot of science fiction and was kind of influenced by Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. kind of having that pattern in the science fiction world in novels at the time. Uh, I think Hawks liked her, so 
again, the story goes that he um, asked to get her or uh, get Lee Brackett on board to help write this film. And Lee and William Faulkner kind of wrote alternate um, alternate chapters from the books for the first draft. But uh, yeah, then when she came in, he was surprised that because Lee Brackett, L-E-I-G-H, kind mm-hmm. of a neutral name. So I was expecting a guy and supposedly surprised then when it came in was a girl, but they had a kind of a, a strong relationship, a strong working relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. And then Jules Forthman is kind was kind of is kind of a puncher upper, so he kind of writes a lot. He was kind of a, the main one there on set to just when they're working through the film, just seeing what they could do to add to scenes or spruce things up a bit. Uh, and looking at Lee Brackett's letterbox page, and uh, did not realize Lee Brackett uh, wrote a draft of Empire Strikes Back yeah. oh. that George Lucas uh, did not use. And she died shortly after she finished that bra- that draft. Um, wow. And so Lucas left her name in the credits, um, even though they didn't use her draft of Empire Strikes Back. Wow, nice guy, Lucas. Yeah. So. Some like it, huh? Yeah. Uh, her top four movies are Empire Strikes Back, Long Goodbye, Big Sleep, and Real Bravo. Oh, so uh, yeah, there's oh, another well, there's your Long Goodbye connection. One of yeah, them. Yeah, I was waiting to add that on later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can turn, yeah. We'll take care of that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I, I love a, a couple scenes in this movie that I just think are really mm-hmm. great. Um, specifically, a couple in the first half. You know, the, everything that go, the whole conversation between the general and Marlowe, I thought was just really good. It sets up everything that you know the the mission, the original mission is going to be on for the five thousand dollar blackmail. Um, mm-hmm. And I just like the back and forth between them, especially like it takes place in the greenhouse and just that the character of the general that you know, he likes the heat. He can't drink anymore. He's uh, got a lot of health problems, but he has these two really young daughters who just live at home, mm-hmm. you know, very millennial of them um, living in their dad's house. So I, I love that scene. I thought that was a great yeah. way to, to intro into this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I. Yeah, my come with a few comparisons but yeah i thought it was far superior to jimmy stewart played the same role in the in the 1978 version and yeah this oh. one i think well, i'm pretty much going to say that everything blows that version away but yeah not that's, that, I, not the that's 78 awful. version didn't get good reviews from what i saw yeah, yeah. so, so well, i think <laughs> if you re, if you're like mm-hmm. me you're really big into this film and the novel it's kind of a mm-hmm. A good yeah, companion piece, but uh, yeah, not, not, not mm-hmm. absolutely awful, um, but uh, yeah, not, not that great either. I mean, it's, as a, it's as a, Robert, uh, it's Robert Mitchum, Mitchum in the uh, in the '70s version, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's I, he just this... doesn't have the charm of Humphrey Bogart. Like I've seen him yeah. in a few things, but he's he's very good at playing a tough guy and being scary, but he doesn't really have the charm there. I don't think. Yeah, but yeah. he he's probably. Some elements he's probably closer to the original character mm. that the original character is just a cynic. So when he has to get a taxi, it's just an old curmudgeonly man he's with rather than a, a young, uh-huh. attractive lady he tries to pick up. And there's no, he just waits in, waits in the bookshop with Agnes rather than going across the road to the other bookshop lady. So that, which is probably true to the, it was very true to the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Mitchum was good kind of doing the more original, cynical, ver- uh, kind of the weary version of uh, Marlow. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and had a lot more of the, I think we mentioned, I think I mentioned, it's probably hard to pick up that kind of pornography as a 
that Geiger and Joe Brody and that are in a pornography racket, which is kind of hard mm. to pick up because of the um, the restrictions on the time of what you can show or say. Oh, oh right, right, right. It's fairly explicit yeah. in the. It's a it's a fake bookshop because the actual books that they're selling are porn. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, okay, got I it. Did got not it. pick that up at all. Got it. Well, now we have our third pornography movie in a row. Right. Yeah. Everybody. Maybe it's pretty, pretty, pretty good month and also porn month as well. Porny, 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 good month. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In that, in that, that intro too, we get we get the interaction between Marlo and the general, Marlo and Vivian, Marlo and yeah. Carmen. So we get like, and Marlo and Norris, but that doesn't really you know, pay off as much, but the, the other three really set the stage for the whole movie. So I, I do love that as like, if I was picking my, like, you know, my most rewatchable scene, I, I feel like it, it might be that first opening scene just because there's so, and the, the dialogue is so heavy. I feel like every time I watch it, I could pick up something new or, or some new, you know, wink or, or character nod in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Martha Vickers who plays Cam and Stern would just, yeah, on the first watch and it just blew me away in that um, first scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's really great in her first scene, and she's really great in the movie overall. Um, I agree. Yeah, she's yeah, great. and it goes, it kind of goes back to what um, you know, Ava said that on this podcast before that the first line of the of the movie should tell you what the movie is going to be about, and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily. I don't know if it's the first line. I don't think it is, but the first character that we're introduced to is Carmen, and the whole movie is about Carmen making a very bad choice uh, mm-hmm. because she's boy crazy. Mm-hmm. So, and she's um, child. Yeah, she's. Is, yeah, she's fairly childlike as well, so she mm-hmm. yeah. kind of, as they say, they need to cure her. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other scene, there's two others that I wanted to point out. One was the, uh, and I can't remember if this came before or after, but um, where we get the call to the police station mm-hmm. with Vivian and, and Philip, and, and Vivian's yeah. going to call the police, and then Philip takes the phone, pretends to be your kid, and we're getting kind of that back and forth between them where they're, like the they're just messing first. with the cops. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's like, oh, that. you should talk to my mom. You should talk to my dad. And, uh, Wait, no, we're we're not the police. Yeah. Why are you trying to reach the police? Right. Yeah, yeah that no. was all really you know, good comedy. Police. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I that, thought that, that that might be my favorite scene in the movie. I think that was mm-hmm. all really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, the third was the uh, scene mm-hmm. when they have Joe Brady in, towards the middle of the scene, and mm-hmm. he's okay. kind of re- – yeah, I kept wanting to call him. I think Joe Brady is. Brody, like a, yeah. Yeah, Joe Brady is a football coach, and I kept wanting to call him Joe yeah. Brady. Um, yes, Joe Brody, um, where they have him, and and he's kind of explaining how he's involved in this blackmail scheme, which uh-huh. really is like inconsequential to the rest of the plot. Um, correct. Yeah. It's his his blackmail is is about Geiger getting killed, and then he knows that, but he's not involved in the big overall overall problem. Right. Yeah. He's not like involved. The in big the thing. Yeah. The big yeah. thing that doesn't get fully clarified was whether he was the one who killed Owen Taylor or not, the chauffeur who killed Geiger. But one thing I loved in that scene as well, when when, uh, Humphrey Bogart is interrogating him is just the way he kind of keeps, um, Humphrey Humphrey Bogart keeps trying to look him in the eye and he keeps just edging his body away and Mm, covering his head. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of those, as we mentioned about Humphrey Bogart himself, a lot of those little physical playful elements just uh kind of add a lot to the enjoyment of it yeah i think it's heavily implied that he killed taylor because yeah. he confesses to chasing him from the house in the car and seeing him get onto the bridge where he his car went off of so he does everything short of saying he killed him on that bridge and then right. drove his car off so i well, mean but then 
then it, when it, Philip calls Bernie, he says, I can show you where the three bullets are that you're missing. Right. Um, but is that, I guess that's in Geiger is what he's referring right. to at that point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He has. So then you have Geiger. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. And then you had, he also picked up, um, uh, Cowell, Cowell mm -hmm. Lundgren. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of Geiger's shadow. I think we'll probably his lover in the book. We couldn't mm -hmm. really do that at the time, but, um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he also had his gun to pick up to give for the Joe Brody murder as well. And then yeah. that's, that's, that's right. in the original film, then they kind of cut a big kind of police station scene explaining it. And here then we cut to Lauren Bacall trying to close the deal and try to make sure there's no follow up on Sean Regan. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's like almost exactly in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And it's like just about an hour in. Um, so, Olin, uh, now we know that uh, Sean Regan was in the Irish Republican Army. Yeah, Commanded like... a brigade in the Irish Republican Army. Yes. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that why you suggested this movie? Because there's the Ireland connection. Uh, no, definitely not that. But um, yeah, again, might might come up again later. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if we were going to meet Sean Regan and we're going to hear his like, like a thick Irish accent, you know. But the only one we're the only Irish accent we're hearing is on this podcast. So. Yeah. Uh, so here's my here's one lingering question I had that I wrote down. Um, so the name A.G. Geiger Geiger is a really unusual last name. You know, the Geiger counter is what you use to measure um, earthquakes, right? Uh, nuclear radiation, I believe. Nuclear radiation. Is there any? connection or double entendre with the name Geiger and the plot of this film like or, or is it just they they, they liked the name like yeah I don't know I think yeah probably nuclear wouldn't have been a big thing when the book was wrote but um, mm -hmm. yeah I do actually kind of uh, like like Geiger as a name throughout the film like why should I care who shot Geiger just the, mm -hmm. the way it's said throughout the film mm. yeah I, I always think Michigan State had a football player, a kicker named Geiger. So that's right, what I was right, thinking right. when I kept talking about Geiger. Um, oh, and did we give enough? Uh, I know I like just briefly touched on the fact that that Sean Regan was in the IRA. Is there anything you know culturally that you want to touch on there, or any like context around that, or do you not even want to touch it? Uh, yeah, I don't think for, within the within the reference of the film, it was just to give him some sort of character background the bigger thing was probably he was uh when philip marlow was in the uh the police force that uh he swapped shots with him while he was running liquor over the border during prohibition right was probably mm -hmm. a slightly that's how himself and marlow got had some acquaintance of each other mm -hmm. but uh, yeah i don't think the i think the irish thing is just to to give a background and kind of show just yes. how the general yeah. knows him and Mm -hmm. Kind of the the fairy or uh, the the stories he enjoyed listening to at the time. Was the general? Do we know when the general served? What war that would have been? Well, I guess that would have been World War One. The, uh, the general served during. Yeah, he would have been fairly old for that as well. I think. Again, I don't think it's referenced in this film. I think the the remake and which probably is kind of a more is probably follows the. The book to a fault a lot more. Although I didn't get the chance to read over the book over the past couple of weeks. So, oh come on! But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I 
had it down. I didn't have, bring that book up to me to Dublin when I moved. So, but um, yeah, in that film, he kind of has a writing, I think an accident about 12 years beforehand, rather than being involved in war, but it would have been too too old for World War World War One. Well, it was say. like 30 years before this. No, yeah. I guess uh, would have been could have been the Spanish American War. Uh, he's fairly he's uh, yeah seventy yeah. so yeah that's true. All right, well we won't we won't do the war math for we'll that. Um, all right, anything else you guys want to touch on, or should we get to feedback? I think feedback will probably guide us through uh, some more conversation. Anything yeah. on that we haven't touched on from you? Um, yeah, maybe. See I suppose the, the I think myself and Brendan were touching on beforehand just some inside baseball, but um. Yeah, I think the musical score as well is oh, yeah. uh, beautifully complements it, uh, and as well you have a lot, a lot of the kind of a lot of the patter scenes and the the investigative scenes won't have mm. any score at all. But then, I suppose particularly when Spacall and Bo got together, particularly when they're driving away in the car a couple of times, just it kind of really carries you along. So um, Max Steiner would have been a big Probably the big musical film score of the mm-hmm. guy at the time. So, could King Kong, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca. Yeah. I, 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 I noticed the score. There are well. a lot of really long silences in the film, as well as the striking intensity of the score at points. Like, I was, I was really like drawn in by the long silences, and then the sudden weaving in of the score. Um, I thought was, I thought really added to the you know, mystique and the um, intensity of the film, for sure. Yeah, uh, good call on the score. I, I also I also really like the score and looked uh, to maybe see some connections based on, on the composer. And All right. One thing, one yep. thing, sorry, just on this particular rewatch as well, I suppose, as you gathered, I've watched it a load of times. One thing I did pick <laughs> up, pick up that I quite enjoyed was in the, in the casino scenes, when they're out at Eddie Ma's place, there's kind of where Vivian sing, singing is kind of all black tie, all the mm-hmm. posh people, and then I kind of noticing a lot of the uh, the cowboy costumes and old old fashioned costumes on both the men and the women, which uh, mm-hmm. really caught my eye in in that scene. So that was something I uh, picked up this time. Oh, nice! Have you seen this movie more times than Chester has seen The Big Lebowski? I haven't seen it much recently, but I kind of watch it regularly back in the early 2000s. So I think it could be close, all right. He said 50 times is how many yeah, times he said Maybe a bit watch. under that then. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, right. as well, yeah, I'm kind of very much, uh, yeah, for these kind of films, I'm, you kind of had it as a hang up, hangout film, as I'm kind of a end of the day, have some time to myself, I'll slot in a, a film in the room mm-hmm. and just kind of absorb it myself so this for probably first time I ever really properly talked about it anyone besides a, the odd message on a whatsapp or a, or a uh, online forum or anything so uh, yeah I'm getting to open up eventually at long last yeah good um did your wife watch it with you? Did she like this movie? Uh, no, I'm too scared to. Uh, if I really love a film, I'm too scared to. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's. You can watch with me. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, let's see. Speaking of uh, loving the film, let's see if our listeners love the film. So, Jeff wrote in pretty decent old timey movie with a cl- couple of classic stars in Bogey and Bacall. 
there were plenty of twists and turns, and I I think I may have gotten lost in the plot a few times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love the acting and the overall case Marla has to solve. Think there are ways they could have tightened up the story a little bit, but all in all, pretty decent. I give it a three point five. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Yeah, back to back three point fives for Jeff. Good yeah. job, Jeff. All right. Um, Megan the Librarian writes in and said, I used to think I really liked film noir. I now recognize that I'm not a big fan of the genre. Boogie is great, though, and I like that the story started out with a rare book dealer and a library. Yes. However, it's hard to care too much about what's happening when the plot is so obscure, and I was disappointed Dorothy Malone only had her one scene. Three and a half out of five from Megan the Librarian as well. Yeah. Dorothy Malone, though, had a very memorable scene. That was the scene mm-hmm. in the Acme Booksellers. Yep. That would probably be my favorite scene. If, uh, I think I didn't give no, earlier, didn't. but that would probably be my favorite scene as well. And yeah, again, given the context of the time, it's, uh, very great. it's kind of what, what's not what you're imagining after they uh, pull down the blind is kind of. No, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it was a very, uh, very good rain for them. They got to connect over the rain. Very convenient rain. That's it. Um, and uh, I'm with Megan Library, and I was super excited when I, when he went to the library, as we are such a pro-library podcast. So, all right, uh, Mac Johnson. I asked him earlier over GChat. I said, Mac, got any feedback on The Big Sleep? And I walked away for about 10 minutes. I came back to a series of messages, which I tried to edit into something a little more coherent than just a whole bunch of sentences. It's uh, a stream of consciousness. It's a very stream of consciousness. <laughs> so I'm just going to read it, uh, mostly. I, I edited it a little bit. Feedback is that it's great. Maybe my film, my favorite, noir. It's a lot funnier than most and more fun in general. I like a good dour noir. I like a good dour noir, too. But Big Sleep is just super entertaining. It's the template for what a lot of people think think of when they think of noirs. Not many noirs were actually detective stories, though that's what people associate with them often. It is a bunch of those elements, except the first-person narration and the expressionistic lighting. He loved the lighting in The Big Sleep, witty di- witty dialogue, fun characters. Lee Brackett also wrote Real Bravo for Hawks, mm-hmm. and it has that same feel. Has a classic Hawks leading lady, tough and smart. Mm-hmm. I love that the plot is pretty inconsequential. It's just there to be a knot for Marlo to unravel. Absolutely. That is a full five pretties for Mac. Uh, five out of five. Good man. Yeah. Great review, Mac. Uh, I did have to ask him. I said he spelled D O U R noir, and I said, which is dour noir. And yeah. I did not know. I had heard the word dour. I did not know how it was spelled. I was like, Mac, did you mean to write? Did you mean that, or is that an autocorrect? And uh, <laughs> nope, that was just yeah. I was dour. Just dour is a good word. Yeah. yeah. I'm just outing myself as a total idiot tonight. <laughs> good job. <laughs> well, let's move on to Jim Crumley. Uh, Jim says the Big Sleep is a classic. The writing is excellent. While Bogart doesn't have the range of many actors, he delivers quips so well. Marlowe is the perfect character for him, and there's so much going on in this movie, there's no time to get tired of his act. Four and a half out of five stars from Jim Crumley. Mm. That is going to give us a listener average of 4.13. That's unexpected. Yeah, glad no one hated it too much, so yeah, yeah. happy with that. So, Owen, how about your feedback and an addition, since we are still in pretty, pretty, pretty good month, can we get your come with guy and fucking asshole of the week? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, come, come with guy, yeah, I have to give it to uh, 
Dorothy Malone. Oh, in literally, um, yeah, for the the bookshop. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. She does it just to his barging into the library and kind of being an idiot. Bookshop, you know, real quick, real yeah. quick. So yeah, and helps out a lot with the description of Geiger as well. With all okay. detective work. Oh, true. So, yeah, and then yeah, the effing asshole of the week then. Uh, of the film, I'll give to. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give to Carol Lundgren for shooting the wrong man. Oh, mm. there you go. Um, yeah, I was gonna give mine to Camino as my yeah. as my fucking asshole of the week. Just mostly because that actor is like, he made me laugh. I actually really enjoyed yeah. him, but he's like very his delivery of every line is very weird, and he looks like Sean Penn as well. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Hello, and, uh, yeah. Like just about shooting the wrong guy as well. Uh, yeah, we did mention t- Eddie Maz, two uh, kind of comedy cronies as well that um, ended up shooting him at oh yes, off screen at the end. Uh, <laughs> Those two morons really reminded me of. I mean, this is going to step on connections later, but those two morons really reminded me of um, Jackie Treehorn's thugs in Big Lebowski. Yeah, nice. Just like a couple of morons. Mm-hmm. You know? I thought you were going to say Harry and Marv. No, no, no. The the thugs in Big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, and my come with gal, I think, is Vivian because uh, she's helping. Out, she helps out Marlo eventually, um, and is really just doing it all to protect her sister. Yeah, definitely uh, Lauren Bacall for me as well for come with gal. Uh, I would say I would say she comes with everywhere and is doing going out of her way to carry. Um, carry carry the movie along with Bogart in a really big way. So, do you have an asshole of the week, Brendan? Oh, it's definitely Eddie Mars. I mean, screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I mean, what a jerk. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, the Harry Jones poisoning scene is great, also. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is really good. Yeah. And when you said poison me, are you? Yeah. Did he spend more time in silhouette than actually properly on screen in the film? Uh, it's got to be pretty close to 50 film. <laughs> So, all right, now was, let's get your, your uh, rating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he was, you kind of see him, then he's in silhouette, and then he's playing dead. So, mm-hmm. the three stages Poor of guy. Jones. Poor guy. All right, he, he's kind of my, yeah, he's kind of, for me, he's the Seamus from the big Lebowski, the guy mm. who was tailing the, mm. not the big, the, the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dude Lebowski. Uh, all right. Uh, well, time for your rating and review, Owen. What do you got to say for score? Yeah, that's no, just yeah, one of my all-time classics. Five out of five. I think uh, was it Matt Mac or Mac that? Uh, yeah, I can't really add much to what he said. Mm, yeah. So uh, yes, another five. That would be Owen. And uh, for me, I am. Uh, I think I'm closer to Megan and Jeff, uh, somewhere between a 3.5 and a 4. I think I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, probably raised a little bit for me on this rewatch up to 3.75. So maybe on a third watch, it would move up to a 4. Um, but I like the feel of everything, and it was fun. I just, it was hard for me to kind of put it all together. Yeah, it's a film for, yeah, you kind of try to, try, yeah, try to feel it more than, uh, mm-hmm. than then try to yeah. uh, follow every the actual um, murders and blackmail and all that. Would you have given a five on your first watch of this movie? 
considering how eager I was to rewatch it, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like that it's it's so complicated that you could watch it a million times and, you know, you're getting something every time. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely want to watch it again. Um, I think I think the main thing for me is the performances and just the noir feel of the film really propel it forward um with two other leads rather than you know bogart and mccall i don't know that this is as strong of a movie as it is and i mean i think that's also um you know uh ironed out or uh, proved out by the remake they tried to make of this in the 70s not being as strong um as Owen had said i i think that this is a four for me um, I could see that raising if I rewatch it again when maybe at a time when I'm not so big sleepy. Um, <laughs> but it's still a four for me. Um, I think it's a I think it's just a classic and mm-hmm. it's really hard to it's really hard to beat. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a four for me. Yeah, it really is just like, a you know, when you see on SNL and they're making fun of like the old timey movies or something, it's right. like just that like prototypical um, you know, 1940s detective story. So I, I, I definitely like that. I, I would love to see a Philip Marlowe something in current. I think that's a character that could be could be fun to have. So it's going to give us a 4.15, which is going to round out to a four for the purposes of Letterboxd. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, all right. Um, so 4.13 for listeners, four for Brendan, 3.5 mm-hmm. for me, five for Olin. So, um, all right, well, let's move on. Now, we've already talked about a bunch of connections, but uh, what do we got? Any other connections between this and The Big Lebowski? Oh, and I'll let you go first if you have any more. Uh, yeah, well, you have the um, the rug. So, obviously, mm-hmm. yep. the, the dude's rug get taken, and here mm-hmm. Eddie Maz comes in and lifts the rug and, yeah, comes out with another mm-hmm. classic line for Bogey about either Geiger got killed, Geiger killed someone, or he likes to do his uh, butchering, butchering in the parlor. That was great. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we talked about that opening scene, the seductive daughter, uh, Carmen as well. Everybody, um, you know, the dude enjoying a drink as well as Bogart enjoying mm-hmm. a drink, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they're, they're standard drinking and just hanging out stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, this take place in L.A., too? I mean, this it did, was like yeah. the outskirts yeah, of L.A. Um, uh, it rains a lot in L.A. For, uh, yeah. for this movie. Yeah, and I mean, both sort of the same area of L.A. as well. Um, there's there's a connection to um, that, if, we, if we're ready to talk about movie map, um, that I is my big movie map uh, connection. Not yet. Okay. We got to do the rest of this year. So. Yeah. Uh, um, what about connections to other movies from this year before we get to movie map? I didn't have a ton, but as we were just talking yeah. about raining in LA, that connects to Magnolia. True. Uh, the end yeah. of Magnolia. Um, yeah, we've we've had a lot of LA set movies this year, including you know Speed and Magnolia, and uh, what else was set in LA? Um, the way way back. No, not the way way back. The way back was yeah. set uh, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, Boogie Nights as Boogie well. Boogie Nights. Yep, is an yeah. LA movie. Um, yeah. Also, just kind of the like uh, organized crime ness of this movie connects to Mean Streets. For sure. Yeah. Um, with the with the tough guys trying mm-hmm. to prove their toughness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, we did not have any weddings in this movie. Um, nope. And we didn't have any terrible parents, really. Although I will say the uh, it seemed like the general looked at Sean Regan as a son. 
mm-hmm. the way he talks about he him. Says this, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then it yeah. is even that. Yeah. And, uh, and that relationship doesn't end well because his daughter kills his yep. adopted son. So I guess you could kind of tie that yeah. to like, do we consider issues. the general a bad dad? Does he fit into our bad dad year? I don't think so. No. I okay. think he, think he admits as well that, uh, anyone who becomes a parent at his age deserves what he gets. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Fair enough. And, um, and, we, we did have a crazy cab ride like we had in me oh. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and any other connections that you came up with for movies yeah. from this year? Uh, yeah, struggling a bit with this year. Have a have a few for when we're doing the map for. Yeah, I think there's one obvious connection, but I, I think I'll go another way and I'll have an honorable mention. So yeah, not struggling. Uh, black and white movie also. Philadelphia yeah. Story uh, was black and white. Young Frankenstein yeah. was black and white. Uh, Liberty Valance also black and white, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the movie map. Um, Brennan, you said you have a good one. Owen, what do you have for your movie map? Yeah, so as I said, I think there's a very obvious one, but I'm going to go with High Fidelity. High Fidelity? Ooh, oh, interesting. Right. Because, uh, yeah, pretty much for the first half of the film, and you just have uh, Marlowe going around effectively, as he says, uh, picks up blondes and bottles. He's just uh, rowing all the women everywhere. And mm-hmm. if I can remember High Fidelity, all right, it's him telling mm-hmm. him about all his, uh, his all the women he picked up in his time. And then he, in the end, he uh, decides to commit to one person. So mm-hmm. I decided to, I, that's kind of, again, particularly for these set of rewatches, I'm really focusing not on the, as much on the murders, but on those, uh, yeah. those relationships. Is the big sleep one about, um, not Lebowski, Bogey's uh, greatest hits? Uh, yeah, be considered. Uh, yeah, be considered in amongst them. No, it's, probably Casablanca. Top five, I guess, is what they call it in High Fidelity. The top five. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what, you have Casablanca. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Uh, African Queen. And I lean towards this over to have and have not. Mm-hmm. I actually like Sabrina. I think it's a charming film, but you know. It's not. It's definitely not as good as some of the as those others. But it's a it's a cute film. Uh, Brennan, what was your uh, what's your movie map? Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, oh. So we have a murder and the unraveling of a plot as somebody drives around L.A. Um, the biggest connection is that uh, Geiger's house is in Laurel Canyon, mm-hmm. which is where the Tate LaBianca murders took place in the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nice. So that was my big connection. So there we oh. go. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to have all different uh, movie maps this week. Um, I had two that came to mind. The first is mm-hmm. Dick Tracy for that, like, 40s gangster top yeah. hats. Fedoras, um, and, yeah. I don't know if Dick Tracy was the 40s, but it was, you know, sometime around then. Um, and, but the it's one the that... Roaring uh, 20s in Dick Tracy. It was the 20s? Yeah, it's the Roaring 20s. I was 20s. trying to remember if it was... Okay, yeah, because I guess it was during Prohibition. Okay, yeah. so that's not really a great connection. But, like, the, the gangsters and the henchmen and the um, mm. the boys outside, that's all Dick Tracy-ish. Mm. And also he calls himself a private dick as well. Um, but the uh, other connection that I had, especially because of all the shrieking that happens off camera <laughs> and the dead body that gets found on the floor, I was mm-hmm. thinking the last movie that we did last year, that is Clue. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Also a great score in Clue. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. They just give oh. an honorable mention as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Camino, the uh, the bad guy thug in this. Anytime he was on 
scenes giving his delivery, I just uh, automatically got brought back to uh, better not do what uh, Paul Shea does and call it the wrong film, but uh, <laughs> Angels with Filth. Angels yes. with Filthy well, Angels Souls. With Souls. Yeah, in Home Alone. Just yeah. the way. Yeah, the way he delivered his line just seemed very reminiscent of the the dialogue that Macaulay Culkin was watching in that right. film. Yep, that's, a, that's a good reminder. I was yeah. thinking that when I was watching this. And then the henchman reminded me of Harry and Marv as well. Um, and then there's probably a, a, a point when uh, when Carmen was at home alone as she was right. childlike. So. And uh, title connection, are we going with the big noir? Is that our, is that our like plan? I like the big noir. Cause Owen, do you have any better ones that you can think of for title and, connection? Yeah, no, that's short and sweet. It is short and sweet. We've had some long episodes and some long episode titles. So, Indeed. all right. The big noir it is. Uh, so, and again, four was our average. So hopefully you enjoyed this discussion. Basically, hopefully Owen was able to help illuminate some of the confusion you may have had around the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see. Are we going to go to something? A, I should open up an account, I think, just so people can me with all that questions about the film so yes there you go yeah you can you can just be the um the film noir fanatic or something i don't know film noir expert give people your opinions on the what, what would be a, a film noir well maybe we'll get to it a suggested film noir that would be a good follow-up to this i guess we can get to that maybe in your connections yeah that's what that's what connections are for that is what, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> what the, that's what the next section is that is our ladder rungs our listener suggestions and house suggestions to pick the movie that we're going to watch next week when did you pick that movie tweeted us at ladder movie email us the movie ladder at gmail.com let us know what you think of the movie that we select give us your score one to five and make sure you send in those suggestions for the week following all right move things off with jeff he says, Rebecca, an old Hitchcock murder mystery around the same time, uh, mid-40s, mid-1940s. 1940. 1940, okay, so early 1940s. Uh, next one, Death on the Nile for Murder Mystery Connection, follow-up to, I believe it's the follow-up to uh, Murder on the Orient Express. And uh, then the last one is North by Northwest. Oh, sorry, not the last one. Second to last one, North by Northwest, classic Hitchcock thriller. And uh, Man on the Run. And then finally, Murder on the Orient Express as a murder mystery and starring Lauren Bacall. So, to uh, who is it that wrote um, uh, Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile? It's uh, uh, Agatha Christie. Ag- Ag- Agatha Christie. Thank you. Agatha Christie. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Megan the Librarian. The movie I really want to suggest as a connection is Written on the Wind, which stars Lauren Bacall and Dorothy Malone. But she mm-hmm. said it doesn't look like it's available online anywhere. So instead, she will say, 1951, the African queen, more Humphrey Bogart, and this was just added to the Criterion channel, and uh, Bogart plays a Canadian, so her Canadian friends will like that. Next one, from 1996, The Mirror Has Two Faces, linking The Big Lebowski and The Big Sleep. This movie features Jeff Bridges and Lauren Bacall. There you go. Next one, Only Angels Have Wings, from 1939, directed by John Hawks. This has very... What did I say? Howard, said John Hawks. Oh, yeah, Howard Hawks. Uh, this has a very high rating uh, on Letterboxd and is one of the 1,001 movies you must see before you die, so presumably it's good. Then we can all see it before we get our wings. <laughs> that was my comment I added. I shouldn't write that stupid joke. Uh, finally, from 1975, Farewell, My Lovely, another Chandler adaptation, this time starring Robert Mitchum as Marlowe. I think that uh, came mm-hmm. up earlier. I yeah, I think, no, The Big Sleep is the one I was... Talking about, but yeah, I think Farewell, My Lovely is a 
kind of seen as a better film, all right, different director and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Crumley, for his latter rung, he said, let's stick with L.A. Noir, but shift to the point of view of the criminals. Stephen mm. Freer's the, Gr- the Grifters is a 1990 release starring John Cusack, Annette Benning, and Angela Houston. Angelica Houston. Ooh, we were just talking about uh, John Cusack in the in the That's true. So there yeah. you go. All right. And then I attempted to put Max G-Chats together into his suggestions as well. <laughs> First is Murder My Sweet is another Marlowe movie that has those t- uh, – that has those also, which that was the uh, the elements of this movie. This was yeah. one thing split into multiples. Uh, also, very uh, very good. And Dick Marlowe, Dick Powell plays Marlowe. It's a shame Humphrey Bogart only got to play him once. And the next one is one I'm surprised hasn't come up yet, and that is the Long Goodbye. That is Robert Altman's uh, Robert Altman's take on Marlowe with Elliot Gould. Also written by Lee Brackett. They do a really interesting thing with the character, which I won't talk about before you've seen it, but I like the way they handle him in 1970s L.A. Don't look at the cast list or you'll spoil a nice surprise. The Long Goodbye has a lot in common with The Third Man, which I know you both love. Yes, look at The Third Man. Long Goodbye was on my list, damn it. But I'll let Mac have this one. Yes. All right, and I'm used to being like, all right, and then Olin suggested, but uh, without yeah, exactly. him. Yeah, him Olin alive. suggested. Go ahead, yeah. Olin. Oh, it's just a dot, dot, dot. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So only two taken so far off my main list. And I, again, I'll probably do an honorable mention, but I'll start off with Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Which, on my list. Uh, an LA-based convoluted um, Noah with a, a kind of a fractious, uh, yeah, I, I won't give away too much, but uh, yeah, yeah starring, starring, Jack, starring Jack Nicholson and... Uh, Faye Dunaway and one mm. of probably Bogie's biggest collaborator actually stars in the film, John Huston. So mm. he'd be a big name director from the Did the Maltese Falcon and a couple of others that have been mentioned as well. So yeah. it's another movie that I've watched it three or four times. And every time I watch it, I still like I'm picking things up much like this movie mm. where it's just I'm still like confused by so many characters. And uh, so it'd be one it would be a rewatch for me, but it would be a worthy rewatch. For sure. And for my second one, I'll go for a very obvious one from the Steve Martin oeuvre. Ah, yep, the, I got that on my list. Yeah, you know that. So, yeah, Dead Men Don't Wear Played. So, uh, yeah, pretty much literally lift scenes from this film. So, and a hat full of yeah. others as well. Uh, collaboration with Carl Reiner. Mm-hmm. And... Uh-huh. So it's, uh, I mean, maybe I'll, maybe we'll find this out, but I saw Humphrey Bogart is listed in the cast list for this movie, but he's dead by this point. Uh, is it just because they use archival footage, I'm assuming? Yep. Okay. Cool. And I'll go for a Howard Hawks film. Uh, I'll try to go steer in a different direction while still having a strong link. So I'm going for Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, musical with Man Monroe and Jane Russell. Uh, that has a a detective at the central of the storyline mm-hmm. that uh, may be involved in some relations as well with some leading ladies. Is that where that's where Diamonds or Girl's Best Friend comes from, correct? Yeah. Got cool. Uh, oh, and you went three for three taking movies off my list. Oh snap! Yeah, right, that's well, okay. Don't give, I, I don't give away had... any of your honorable mentions yet. Yeah, um, was... Did you have any other uh, main uh, suggestions? Uh, I have a few. The one I want, I didn't think it was, I was thinking it's probably a stronger link the more we talk about the film. Mm. As we were mentioning about Sean Regan and about him being in the Irish Republican Army 
which would have been during the, the Revolutionary War of 1916 to 21, 22. Mm-hmm. So a film set in that time about uh, brigades in the Irish Republican Army, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, was yeah, going to be the cool. one I'd suggest, probably by me. So yeah, that was that's an honourable mention by me. But uh, okay, good. Sure. I was going to say then you're going three for four if you suggest that one. So no, no, no. I was wasn't sure how. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, I thought it was just a fun one, but the Sean Regan link is too yeah, weak. Yeah. But then, mm-hmm. but then yeah. Sean Regan is pretty much driving the whole film mm-hmm. from start to end. Mm-hmm. This one, so yeah. Um, all right, Brendan, you're up next, and uh, let's see if you continue to take movies off of my list. Luckily, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have eight movies remaining, all so right. you can't take. Them I off. have quite a few movies. Uh, the first one I want to, I had the long goodbye, obviously, so I'm not using that. I have two big films that I want to connect if we decide that we want to keep going with Big Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, so I have The Big Short mm-hmm. and The Big Sick. Ah, both ones I thought about but didn't put on my list. Yeah. So those are going to be my um, big connections. And then I have two non-big connections. Um, so during the whole scene where Marlo is getting there, and trying to figure out the plot and the blackmail and all of his detective work, I was getting a lot of reminiscence of Knives Out. Ah, yep, I thought about that. So I want to throw in Knives Out. And then, yeah, go ahead. That directed by Rian Johnson. Right, Johnson, yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, he takes big influence from films of this era. Absolutely. I had had a different film of his on my long list. Ah, me too. And then my final connection is a neo-noir starring Nicole Kidman and Miss Lauren Bacall, who's in this movie from 2004 called Dogville. And I think it's a movie nobody has seen, but has really great reviews uh, critically across the board on Letterboxd. It's a 4.1. I know nothing about this film, but the cast and the plot intrigued me. And I was like, all right, let's throw that in there. So those are my... I feel like I remember seeing the box at the video store. That's one of those video store movies, okay. but I did not know what it was about. Uh, all right, you didn't take anything off my list. It's a, yeah, it's a neo-noir. Um, figured it was worth a shot. So there you go. All right. All right, what do you uh, got, Zach? Let's see. So I still have all of mine on my list, but I'm picking through. There are a couple I don't want to use anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, first is one that I have on my list. It's a Humphrey Bogart movie. I just have it on my watch list, and uh, I'd like to see it. It's In a Lonely Place. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, I've never seen it, but I have it. I added it to my watch list at some point. So thought about throwing in Casablanca, obviously, but you know, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know if we wanted to go with that, um, you know, that big of a movie next. But mm-hmm. yeah. and they tell you right game. on the poster for In a Lonely Place that it's a suspense picture with a surprise finish. So there you go. If, if it's new <laughs> for all of us, that could be fun. There you go. And it looks like oh, it is not new. It's not going to be new for Megan the Librarian. Uh, but it'd be new for more other. Oh, it's been suggested on this podcast before. All right. My second one, uh, Olin just mentioned it as a Ryan Johnson movie, a neo noir. Mm. It was his first movie, his breakout, yeah. uh, The Golden Brick. That is Brick. Brick. Yep. Another one I've seen a bunch of times and I always pick up something different each time I watch it because it's so complicated. Um, third one is a movie that has been on my watch list for a while. I don't know if there's any cast connections, but it is a film noir from the same time period, and that is Double, Double Indemnity. I think it came up earlier as well. Yeah, the, yeah. Raymond, Raymond Chandler co-wrote the screenplay. Oh, good. Perfect. And then my final one is one that I knew nobody would steal. 
uh, because it is uh, it is a bit out there. But I think it actually works because it is about a character named Vivian, a character named Edward or Eddie, and a character named Philip. Uh, we're staying in L.A. Uh, this time we're watching what some have called a modern interpretation of Cinderella, and that is Pretty Woman. Mm. Yeah. At first, I thought Richard Gere's character was named Philip, and I was like, oh, my God, it's a movie about a character, about a Philip and a Vivian. But he's not. He's Edward, Eddie, Mars. Uh, but Jason Alexander's character is named Philip. Philip. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and it'd be very, it'd be very fun to connect, uh, to connect the big sleep to Pretty Woman. And the, nice. Yeah, I find the women are very stylish as well in um, mm-hmm. yep. in the big sleep. So, which is a big contrast to the '78 film where they're kind of more down to earth. Where so yeah, that kind of she kind of Julia Roberts goes from the uh, yeah kind of mm. gets to that class of uh, suits in the end. True. Yeah. Um, and that actually reminds me about a connection back to the Big Lebowski is you talked about the, the remake and how it's, you know, really not that great. But if you're a big fan of the film, it's kind of like, you know, extra reading that you can do to watch that. Um, and that connects to Big Lebowski because there is the Jesus Rolls movie, which people mm-hmm. say is not good. But if you're a big fan of Big Lebowski, you know, like people check it out. So, sure. Um, and uh, Brennan, we didn't even talk about the fact that there is an Edward Mars in this. Oh, in, yeah. In, in yeah, yeah Detective yeah. Yeah. It's our lost uh, connection. It's our lost connection for the week. There you go. Yeah. Uh, um, all right, I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple honorable mentions I would like to yeah, mention as well. To honorably mention, uh, I did throw it to having to have not on my list, mm-hmm. um, just because it's got so many connections. That to seemed this. like the obvious connection, but I think yeah. everybody left it off. Yeah. It uh, basic obvious. Instinct because Dorothy yeah. Malone, Detective Story of Dorothy Malone is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven because it's a neo noir, but I think Brick is probably a better connection for neo noir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre I had on there because mm-hmm. it's one on my on my watch list. It's got Humphrey Bogart. And then the final one, and this is what I wrote down as we were talking on this podcast, uh, but Lee Brackett wrote and the uh, modern Humphrey Bogart starred in Empire Strikes Back. Good point. So. Um, other honorable mentions for me, big, just to keep big month going. Mm-hmm. Um also, I thought about the big chill because it starts with a dead Ooh. body. Oh, yeah, those are great. Um, Maltese Falcon uh, uh, was on my honorable mentions. Yep. Uh, for Howard Hawks, obviously, bringing up Baby or Real Bravo, both mm-hmm. would have been great. Yeah. And Rio Bravo has the same, two of mm-hmm. the same screenwriters. And the mm-hmm. and score, yeah. yeah. Um, and LA Confidential, obviously, is a yeah, good honorable mention. Yeah. And, yeah, I have one. Yeah, so a good few of them were on my list as well. I suppose mm-hmm. one other I have then is Murder by Death, mm-hmm. where Peter, uh, it's a load of detectives gathering together. Uh, but yeah, Peter Falk effectively plays the, the Humphrey Bogart, kind of mm-hmm. Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe, the Humphrey Bogart uh, detective. Character. Yeah, the movie's a lot like Clue. It it has yeah. like Truman Capote in the, um, in the Wadsworth role, and it's really, really, really solid. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's one thing seen as pro- problematic, yeah. and it's not that funny. Uh, yeah, there's there's one big problem with that, <laughs> for sure. All right, uh, what else, Zach? Anything else? Uh, you just got to read off all the. Uh, right, all and I will go back through them. I just didn't know if you had any more honorable mentions. Uh, uh, no, I don't. All right, uh, so let's get from the top. Uh, Rebecca, Death on the Nile, North by Northwest, Murder on the Orient Express, The African Queen. The mirror has two faces, 
Only angels have wings. Farewell, my lovely. The Grifters. Murder My Sweet. The Long Goodbye. Chinatown. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. The Wind That ra- that Shakes the Barley. The Big Short. The Big Sick. Knives Out. Gogville. In a Lonely Place. Brick. Double Indemnity. And Pretty Woman. Zach, you get to pick first. I get first. to go first. Oh, man. Um, thinking about Chinatown. Uh, Forget it. It's just Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, but I did recently just watch it. Um, also, Death on the Nile could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, African Queen was on my short list as well. Um, I think I'm going to go with Long Goodbye. Because, I mean, let's see an updated Marlowe. So we'll give the big hello and the long yeah. goodbye. Long goodbye uh, was also going to be mine, so I'm glad you took it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy to pick something different. Um, I also think that um, I'm really intrigued by the cast of The Grifters, and it's a movie I've never seen. Um, sounds fun. Sounds like a L- good connection, being an L.A. noir. Um, 1990 is is a nice way to get us back a little more modern. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, the Grifter. I uh, somebody gifted me the Grifters on DVD, and I never mm-hmm. took it out of the wrapper. That's I never watched funny. it. That's really funny. Yeah. All right, Owen. Yeah. Pick a movie that has the in the title. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, I suppose if I was going personally, I'd just stick in the era. But um, yeah, I think a fun one to jump off and be totally different. Uh, don't mind rewatching myself, Pretty Woman. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Oh, I, I was so proud of that connection. I, I very much appreciate you picking that. Sorry for <laughs> blowing out everybody's eardrums for yelling yes. Uh, yes. Well, I'm gonna immediately deflate that and say no. I don't think the connection is there. What? I'm gonna say no to Pretty Woman. Oh, no, no to Pretty Woman. You're terrible. Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think you could yeah. say Richard Gere is the modern Humphrey Bogart, Julia Roberts the modern Lauren Bacall. Um, no. no, no, I don't think you can. You're uh, saying this. There's a detective played by did Hank Humphrey Azaria. Bo- did Humphrey Bogart ever put a gerbil up his butt? Uh, I mean, he, I'm sure Shake. he did up plenty of other stuff. Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well. Okay. Well, I think I think, I think it's the long goodbye and yeah, that's, that was going I, to I be mean, my pick as well. Yeah. I I mean I it was on my list. It was going to be on my list. It it makes the most sense to go to a seventies Marlowe. Um, it's been on my list forever as well. Um, it gets us on that Altman thing that we've been wanting to do for a little while. Again, I mean, we already did it on Altman. But yeah, I mean, and I do think like a dialogue heavy movie like uh like The Big Sleep is Altman esque. Uh. Not yeah. like they, it's not the same style, but just how much the dialogue drives what's going on. Uh, and let's see. So it did come up after Mash. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at who who suggested it. it that was probably was, me. It was <laughs> Stefan after Stephane. Mash. Stefan ah, Johnson. Missed came up back. last week, I think. Uh, yeah. And let's see. Long Goodbye came up from Chester last week. Yep. So. And Chester with the long goodbye. So we go from the big sleep to the long goodbye. Oh, let's we didn't even look at when what's uh you know when, where it's streaming at. Let me look up. Uh, it's on Criterion and you could probably rent it on Amazon. 
Yeah. Or from your local library as or well. Or from your local library. Yeah. 1973, this is a Robert Altman movie. Um, and trying to look at the cast list. Don't look at the cast. He said yeah. not to look at the cast. I know. I'm just looking at the uh, – so Hoopla as well. Uh, it's yep. on Hoopla. It's on Criterion Challenge channel not criterion challenge uh epics if you have epics access oh paramount plus as well oh there you go oh perfect if you if you watch the big brother live feeds click over to long goodbye in between say say the long goodbye to the big brother live feeds um Olin, where is it streaming in scotland Uh, why would i care about those (laughs) those guys um yeah I'll, i'll i'll manage to find it for myself anyway You'll find it. All right. FID Scottish. I think you're the only one, uh, I had to guess. All right. So All right. next week's pick is The Long Goodbye. It is an updated, or at least updated in 1973, take on Philip Marlowe. Uh, I don't know if it takes place in the 70s. I guess it must, based on what Max said. Um, so that will be fun. Uh, maybe we'll have some similar connections next week for more film noirs. Right. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, cool. Uh, if you when you watch that movie, send us your feedback at Ladder Movie or the Movie Ladder gmail.com. We'll get it in for next week's show. Make sure you include a suggestion or two or three or four. Uh, Olin, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us uh, so much information about the Big Sleep because Brennan and I would have been on here sounding really stupid otherwise. So we appreciate Absolutely. you helping keep us on task. That's been great to join in for you for one of my all-time favorites. So. Had a good time. And yes, I hope, uh, hope the listeners find some of the feedback useful. Yes, definitely. And enjoyable. Uh, and uh, Olin, what are you going to watch this week? Uh, this week, so I think I'm like yourself, though I'm not doing a... We can talk about TV as well as films, can't we? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because we're doing a... We're in a Mad Men rewatch, whereas I believe you're on your first time, so... Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... Uh, Tying in nicely a few characters popping up in the last few episodes of Kirby Enthusiasm. We've been doing for the shout out for the uh, pretty, pretty, oh. pretty good podcast, oh, nice. of course. Um, which, uh, what season are you in, in Mad Men? Uh, I think it's, I won't give anything about the plot, but I think it's season five. Oh, yeah, you're so right. 1966. Wow. Oh, nice. I am in, I have not started season five. I'm in between season four and season five. And there's just too much other stuff. I haven't gotten a chance to pick it back up, but maybe you inspired me. Maybe I'll watch an episode tonight. So nice. Uh, Brendan, how about you? Yeah. Um, so I just watched the, sh- the John Wayne's last film, The Shootist for my personal movie ladder. And our buddy Mac coming up once again has a connection for me that apparently I need to watch the Clint Eastwood movie Gran Torino as mm. the next film on my personal ladder. So I'll be uh, checking that out and then I'll probably take that to another Clint Eastwood movie. But uh, I don't know which one yet. Either you're Dirty gonna, Harry or Unforgiven. You're going to get on your lawn. You have, huh? the big li- you, have the, you have a big link to the big sleep as well. For the oh, shooters. Well, yeah. That's true. Low, low yeah. and Bacall. Oh, yeah. well, Great point. Nice. Yep. Yeah. I didn't bring yeah, that's why I didn't bring it up this week, but yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, I, for, I kind of forgot about that. I forgot to write it down. Brendan, did you watch Way the first episode out. of What If? I did. I, uh, Marvel's What If uh, dropped this morning. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the first episode. Um, hope people check it out. Yeah. yeah. Seems I, good. I, I, it's, Seems I, we're back to Marvel shows coming out 
on, on Wednesday Wednesdays. mornings and yeah. me being like, wait, there's a new show that came out this morning. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I completely forgot about it until I saw a bunch of spoiler text in the uh, uh, post-show recaps patron Discord. So. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to be careful. Uh, all that's right, why so, they give you the black text option. That's, so. no, that's nice. Better than better than WhatsApp, where you just have to scroll past it really quick. Exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. So for me, I don't know what I'm going to watch next. Um, on my personal ladder, I just watched – or no, I have not yet. I'm going to be watching um, – uh, Assassination of Jesse James. I still haven't watched that yet. Um, also, I do want to watch The Suicide Squad, but I want to watch the Harley Quinn movie first. Um, I did watch Dirty Dozen this week to prepare for The Suicide Squad because I think it's influenced by it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, Definitely is. Um, what did you yeah. think of uh, Dirty Dozen? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I mostly liked it. Um, it's a little <laughs> long. and uh, But I thought there were some good parts. It just kind of it kind of dragged the points for me as well. So Good cast. Um think I preferred Great Escape better, but um, they're, some, they're very similar movies. Would have been a good connection last year. So, mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, we're going to be back next week to talk about The Long Goodbye. We're Stan, Philip Marlowe month. We'll see if we continue. Um, Olin, where can people reach you when they have feedback on, and questions about The Big Sleep? Uh, uh, I forget what my Twitter handle is. I think it's Olin7, is it? E-O-L-A-N. Seven. Yeah, you'll see me. You'll see me with. You'll see me on the movie ladder podcast. Yeah, we'll tag right you. Seven. It is. It is all in seven. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I bet. Uh, I think I. I just kind of tag three podcasts. Pretty pretty good. This one and then a, a British football cliches one. So I, I don't tend to try to try to avoid all um, anything political or anything that gets a bit too emotional. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can always find Olin in our in our comments section and in the pretty 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 good comments section. Absolutely. Uh, feedback every week. So, uh, Brendan, how about you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Fitzy Brendan or Letterboxd at the same. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at BrendanFitzpatrick11. Um, yeah, that's about it. Look cool. forward to talking to everybody about the long goodbye. Um, excited to watch. For it. sure. Yes, we're gonna say hello to the long goodbye next week. Exactly. I'm at Brooks ZA, and uh, we will see you next week for more. Philip Marlowe. Thanks again for joining us, Olin. And take it easy. Thanks very much for having me. There's a long goodbye And it happens every day When some passerby Invites your eye To come her way Even as she smiles